Hey, you can open, or if you have your Bible open, you can stay there in John. We're going to talk today uh, through a couple of passages in John. And when you think about Christmas time, obviously, for most of us, we probably think about family. And it's one of the reasons why, even though it's going to create a little bit more commotion and noise than the adults uh, typically do, I mean, typically, I know that we've got all the kiddos in here with us today. And, and if uh, that's a new thing for you, uh, yeah, we want you to know we're excited about that. And uh, we certainly don't want anybody to feel um, odd or, uh, or uncomfortable if your kiddo's making some noise or moving around, okay? There's plenty of space in here. And uh, we're just delighted to have everybody in as a family. Because when we celebrate Christmas, right, that's typically what we do. We get together as a family. And, and as we gather in a family, there's, there's probably some traditions that your family does together. Um, most of us, when we think about Christmas time, we probably think about those family traditions. Uh, in fact, today, there may be some things as we wrap up here that you're going to, to go and participate in, things that you've participated in maybe since you were a child. And so, again, when we think about Christmas time, we think about family. I, I know for, for me growing up, one of the things that Christmas Eve always meant, uh, whether we did a Christmas Eve service or, or maybe a candlelight service or whatever it was that we did with the church community, typically what Christmas Eve meant for, for me when I was growing up is at some point we were going to get back to the house and nobody else was coming over yet, or we weren't going over to anybody else's house yet. There weren't, weren't extended family or anyone else like that around on Christmas Eve. That's just when my mom and my dad, my sisters and I, we would all get together. And, and what we would do on Christmas Eve before we went to bed is we would take the gifts that we had bought for one another. And we would kind of do the family gift exchange. And, and it was one of those few times where you didn't really tear into everything and wrapping paper, you know, wasn't like flying around and, and all of that all at once. But instead, we would just take the time uh, to kind of watch as we would open one another's gifts and, and thank one another and, and just kind of enjoy that time together. And so maybe you had traditions like that that you participate in. And maybe you're looking forward to those types of traditions. Because again, when you think about Christmas time, we oftentimes think of family and the traditions, the rituals that we share together. And, and when I was thinking about that this week, one of the, the memories that came to my mind is since we would do that as a family on Christmas Eve, at least when we were little, what that did is it kind of set up uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, not Saturday, but, but Christmas Day. It set up Christmas Day for um, for Santa, right? Because if we'd already exchanged all the gifts we'd gotten for one another, then that means if there were gifts on, on the next day, um, on Christmas Day, then Santa must have showed up for that. And now I'm going to date myself a little bit, but here's the memory that came to my mind, is uh, there used to be these things called cassette tapes, all right? And, uh, and, and, and it was like this cool thing uh, at one point in time when you didn't just buy those cassette tapes in the store, but you actually could, uh, could buy blank ones and you could create your own little recording. And, and so uh, some of us had these recorders. I mean, that was like for a little kid at one point in time, you kind of had arrived when you got your own recorder and you could get a blank cassette tape and then you could like create your own, uh, your own little, little, little thing. And so my dad happened to get a cassette tape recorder. Uh, and I don't remember if it was for me or who it was for, but I remember we get up on Christmas day and all of the, the gifts between one another had been exchanged the night before. And, and so now we wake up and so clearly Santa has brought this recorder. And so we push play on the recorder and sure enough, Santa had left this message for us on the recorder. 
And he had taken the time after, you know, delivering all the gifts before he went on to the next house or whatever it is that he does, right? And he had, he had said, Merry Christmas and ho, 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 and the whole thing. And I remember, like, my eyes were getting bigger and bigger. And, and then he started to say to each family member, you know, Merry Christmas to Matt and Merry Christmas to Shelly and kind of went through the whole thing, went all the way through my mom, and then it stopped. Now, I was a little too young for this. But I remember my sisters immediately looking at one another and being like, well, why wouldn't Santa say Merry Christmas to you, Dad? And then it kind of, you could see the look coming over my dad's face as he realized he had just been outed. And of course, you know, I was the youngest in my family, so they had to kind of explain that one to me. But that may have been the day, and I'll stop there in case we've got some little ones in here, but that may have been the day that my bubble burst. But when you think about Christmas, you think about family. And you think about traditions and, and you think about the things that we do together. And, and here's what those, those, those traditions and rituals, here's what they do. They, they, they bring us into a common story, a common experience with one another. It, it kind of gives us a shared identity around uh, a, as a family. Um, it's something that even creates an expectation in us. If, if Christmas is a fond memory for you, then it's probably a fond memory because you look forward to those things that you share together as a family. You look forward to being a part of this family that you're, that you're with together. And, and here's, here's what's amazing about the church. One of the metaphors that the Bible uses for the church is a family. And, and like any family, the church has traditions or rituals that we share together. And the most common of those our communion and baptism. And I'm actually going to talk with you really briefly today about communion. Communion as a family tradition or ritual for us in the church. And, and what's odd about Christmas time is we don't typically think about communion, do we? We may think about carols, which we've sung some already. We'll sing some more this morning. We may think about candles. I mentioned that. Maybe you've done candlelight services before. We think about gifts and, and maybe boat parades or, or tree lightings. I mean, there's all these things that we do around Christmas. And sometimes, even on Christmas Eve, when we gather as a church, we don't participate or, or, uh, or have communion available. But we're going to do that today. And we're going to do that because when you think about church as a family and you think about the traditions or rituals that we have as a family, here's the thing. Communion points to the coming of Jesus. This is kind of the main idea, and you'll see it up on the screen. But communion reminds us that Jesus has come. In fact, the advent, the coming of Jesus is, is revealed to us in this way. It resets in communion our picture of humanity, and it restores our everyday experience, and it redeems our sin and our brokenness. And that's what I want to look at as we think about the bread and the wine. We think about the, these, the communion that's in front of us. I want us to be reminded that Jesus has come and what it is or why it is that he has come. To reset our picture of humanity. To restore our everyday experience and to redeem our sin and our brokenness. And so look at the first one here with me, the meal of communion. This is, I'm going to read a passage in just a minute out of John 15, but, but what I want to talk about first is the idea that, that communion is a meal. And, and I know some of you may be thinking, especially if you're new to church, you're like, well, what kind of meal is this? You know, right? Like a cracker and I dip it in the, in the, in the cup? Like, 
You know, is this like some kind of diet that the church is doing together, right? Like, is there going to be a book that comes out and in the new year, we're all going to like slim down and lose some weight because we get a cracker, right? Like that's not much of a meal, is it? But, but the thing about communion is that it's, it's, it's echoing, it's pointing us toward a meal, a feast that Jesus is preparing for his people. But here's what I want you to think about when you think about a meal. Do you realize that whenever we have a meal together, typically think about the feasts, the celebrations that we have, Thanksgiving, maybe later on today or tomorrow around Christmas, weddings. What do we do whenever we have these meals that we invite, celebration and feasting? We, we look around and we think about the people who have meaningful relationships with us. We look forward to the conversations. We reflect upon the memories we have together. We create new memories with one another. So to be invited to a meal is to be invited into a relationship. Listen to these verses in John 15, if you would. Jesus says this in in John 15, 5, and then I'm going to jump down. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen listen to this, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, I think sometimes when we read words like this from Jesus and we think about his coming and we think about why he comes, I think sometimes we can miss the big picture. We can read verses like this and we can hear Jesus saying, you're going to bear fruit. And maybe we think things like, okay, I get it. God wants me to be productive. He wants me to to do things that, that he's asking me to do. We hear Jesus say things like, keep my commandments. And again, we might miss the big picture. We just think, okay, okay, God wants me to be moral. He wants me to follow the rules. He wants me to do right. But what we're missing in that is the actual invitation that Jesus is offering to us. When Jesus says to abide in him, to abide in his love, It's an invitation into relationship with him. It's a seat at the table. It's sharing a meal together with him. That's that's a pretty amazing offer for God to come in the flesh and say, I want to know you. I, I want a relationship with you. I want to share memories, moments, and identity with you. When he says, I want your joy to be full by giving you my own joy, he's offering us himself. And again, we can miss it if all we think is that God wants of us to be productive, to be moral. We've missed the big picture. Jesus has come. And in his coming, he resets our picture of humanity You and I were not created just to fall in line and and, 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 and morally obey the rules. We were created to enjoy this world in relationship with Jesus. A broken picture of humanity 
is to enjoy this world apart from God. A broken picture of humanity is to look for joy in something other than God. But Jesus comes and he resets that picture of humanity for us. What it means for you and I to be here is for us to know him, to walk with him, to enjoy the world he's given in relationship with him and find that in him our joy is made full or complete. I I think of it this way. I've got children of my own. And if my kids, as they grow, you know what, if they're productive, I think that would be awesome. I I would love for them to be productive. If if they're, if they have character, I think that would be awesome. I think that's one of my roles as a dad, right, is to shape character in them, right? I think that would be awesome. But I am, I am the, I'm not a perfect father, okay? I, there is no way that I could in any way put myself on, in a plane near God as a father. But let's just say I could be benevolent toward them. Let's just say I could be gracious toward them. Let's just say I could offer the world to them. And if my children would want to walk morally, with character, if they would want to be productive and, 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 and responsible, if they would want to enjoy the world that I gave them as a benevolent and gracious father, but they would want nothing to do with me. Do you see how, how broken that would be? How difficult it would be for me as a father to even celebrate who and what they're doing when they want to do it all at a distance from me. So here, Jesus shows us in this invitation to a meal, a picture of humanity as it was intended to be, that we could enjoy this world in relationship with him, in communion with him. What a beautiful picture of humanity, right? But here's another thing about communion that I want you to see, the elements I mentioned to you earlier the bread, and we dip it in the cup. Again, if you're new to the church thing, uh, it, it's, this, is, this is a practice, a ritual, a tradition of the church for centuries, that we would remember the coming of Jesus in this practice of taking bread and dipping it in the wine. Those are the elements, we call them, of communion. And what the elements of communion do, what they echo for us is that Jesus restores our everyday experience. And here's what I mean by that. What, 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 what is this bread? What is it made of? Some of you kids in here may even know that, right? We, we have wheat, right? It's wheat that we, 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 we cultivate, we harvest, and we make bread out of wheat. And, and, and the wine that's in the cup, what, what is that made of? Grapes, right? And so we're reminded in communion that God intends for us to take this world that he's given us and to steward it, to cultivate it, to create something out of it. That's what you and I do every day of our lives. And isn't it some of the most mundane things? Work, meals, Some of the most mundane things, the most routine things, the most common things that you and I do, Jesus restores those experiences for us. The work isn't something that we do apart from him, but again, this world has been created for us to enjoy it with him. 
And so Jesus takes the works that we do and they're no longer something that we have to hide or run from. Look at John chapter three with me. I'm gonna read you some verses here. Jesus has come. And in his coming, he, he restores our everyday experience. Listen to this. This is John chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I don't know about you, but wrap my mind around God coming in the flesh is a fascinating thing. That God the Son would put on our humanity. I mean, the things that I just can't, I just can't, they're fascinating. That God knows all things. That's kind of a, 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 we call them incommunicable attributes of God, right? God knows all things. But At one point in time, as God came into the flesh, Jesus, the God who knows all things learned to read. That's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. We're told in the Bible that all of the world and the universe was created through him, Jesus, okay, the son of God. And yet God came in the flesh And the God through whom all things were created, he actually plied a trade as a carpenter. That's that's just wild to me. Another thing that we know about God is that he's he's, uh, he's ever-present. We we, we call it um, omnipresent, right? He's everywhere at once. That's why we can pray to him here and somebody on the other side of the world can be praying to him and, and he's God, okay? I don't know how he does it, but it's not like Bruce Almighty through email, okay? I'm just telling you, somehow, okay, he's everywhere at one time. Yet God came in the flesh and the ever-present God actually had to walk to get to Jerusalem. I mean, these are fascinating things for me. Like, like, but as fascinating as those, as those thoughts are, what's more mind-boggling to me about the experience of Jesus and his coming is that there is not a thought, there is not a word, there is not an action of Jesus that he would fear being exposed. Amen. Now that makes him different than you and I, doesn't it? See, every one of us, at some level, every one of us, we live with a fear of the thoughts, the actions, the words of our lives being exposed. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in John 3. That there is Jesus, and then there is the rest of us. There is Jesus who lived perfectly in communion with the Father. None of his thoughts, words, or deeds feared to be exposed, and then there's the rest of us who apart from Jesus live distant from, far off from, in rebellion to God, and therefore our deeds are evil. This is a thought that is crazy to me. 
but this is what the Bible teaches us. Even the best of our deeds, even the best of our actions, even the best of our words still fall short of a holy God. But what Jesus does in his coming is he restores our everyday experience. The work of our hands can become something that helps those around us. The words of our mouth can be something that builds up rather than tears down those around us. The thoughts, the intentions, the efforts that we, we, we give can become something that serve rather than selfishly serve just ourselves. So the coming of Jesus, this idea of communion that we do, it points us to these things, that Jesus has reset our picture of humanity. Jesus has restored our everyday experience. And here's the last thing. I want you to see how Jesus redeems our sin and brokenness. This is the sacrifice of communion. I'm going to grab my Bible. I want you to look at John 10 with me. In John 10, Jesus likens himself to a shepherd. And this isn't a new thing. In fact, he's actually echoing, um, he's echoing a, a psalm. Many of you would probably know it. It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, that's, that's Psalm 23. And so Jesus, echoing that, he likens himself to a shepherd, to the good shepherd. And here's what he says. This is verse 11 of John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 14, he says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The thing about Jesus liking himself to a shepherd is in the metaphor, it would then liken us to the sheep, right? And all we like sheep tend to wander, don't we? The, the desires of our hearts, the affections of our hearts tend, tend to wander. We, we tend to misdirect our love, our devotion, our worship onto things that are not God. So all we like sheep wander and then the good shepherd comes and in his coming, he redeems us. He redeems us from our sin, our brokenness, the wandering, the shame, the rebellion. He, he, he redeems us from that. How does he redeem us from that? Well, you see, the good shepherd took on our flesh and our blood. The good shepherd then offered up himself a broken body, poured out blood, so that we might be reconciled to God through him. That is the good news of the gospel that is the good news of Christ's sacrifice for us. And here's, here's what's crazy about Christmas time. None of that happens unless Jesus comes born to us, a Savior. 
Christ the Lord. So when we gather on Christmas and we remember the coming of Jesus, what we're remembering is the very things that week in and week out we recall, we rehearse, we recite to one another in this family tradition or ritual of communion. Christ has come. And in his coming, he has reset our understanding, our picture of what it means to be human. He has restored to us the most common, mundane, everyday experiences of life, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, can now be done to the glory of God. And he has redeemed us, redeemed us from our sin, from our brokenness, by being broken for us. Praise be to God and Jesus Christ. Am I right? And here's the thing. We're going to close in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to invite the band to make their way back up. And as they're coming up, there is a chance for us to respond to, to respond to the work of God in Christ. So for those of you who are part of the church, I've been talking about it this whole time. You know what this looks like. We, we come forward, right, and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup and we're remembering that Jesus has come, that he took on our flesh and blood, that he has reset, restored, and redeemed us, okay? So you know what that looks like, church family, you know. And I want you to respond this morning on Christmas Eve with glad hearts remembering his coming and the invitation he gives us in communion. But I know not everyone here is a part of the church family. And so if you are far off, as I've described it, which all of us are apart from Christ, if you are lost and broken in your sin and shame, which all of us are apart from Christ, I would invite you to respond to the gift of God's grace this Christmas. That you would follow after Jesus, that you would cry out to God for his mercy toward you in Jesus. And, and here's what I think would just be awesome, is if that's you today, and God is doing this work of salvation in your heart, then we want you in this time of response, we want you to pray to God as a gracious father. I would love to talk with you briefly, and then I would want you to come. And just like the rest of the family, take the bread and dip it in the cup, and celebrate with us the greatest gift of God in his grace in Christ. So let's pray together and then let's respond together. Heavenly Father, we are so amazed at who you are, so amazed at your grace, your mercy toward us. And Father, we thank you that in the midst of a crazy season, of all the things that go into today and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas, we thank you that you've given us at least this moment to pause, to reflect, to maybe take an evaluation of our lives and our hearts before you. And so, Father, I pray that the church today, the church community, the family that's gathered here, I pray that if, if there is anything that we need to walk in confession and repentance, that we would do that. If there is anything relationally, 
that is broken and undone, that, that by your grace we would mend that so that when we come forward today and, and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, we could with glad hearts rejoice that Jesus has come and he has invited us to the feast, welcomed us into communion, relationship with you, that Jesus has come and, and, and the most mundane parts of our lives are, are restored as meaningful in your presence and done with your power and, and, and above all things, it's all possible because the righteousness of Christ is given to us through his death and burial and resurrection. Father, we thank you for those truths and pray, pray that our hearts would respond to that this morning. And for those who are far off, Father, I just pray your spirit would speak to them, your spirit would move in their hearts and convict them that they would see their need to look to Jesus and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord and Christ and, and in the spirit of this season as a gift of your grace to them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.